You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're presenting part one of a two-part series featuring stories about mental health. So just a warning before we get started, both parts of this series will, as you might expect, include descriptions of symptoms of mental illness. And the stories in today's episode specifically will include references to suicide. If this is something that you're struggling with or you're worried about someone in your life, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. It's available 24 hours a day across the U.S. You can also go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org to chat with someone or find hotlines in Espanol or for deaf or hard of hearing people. In Canada, you can call Crisis Services Canada at 1-833-456-4566. And in the U.K., you can call Samaritans at 116123. Please know that you are not alone and you do not have to deal with this on your own. So with all that said, our first story today is from Mike Brown. It was recorded in March 2019 at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was brain power. This is the last time I'm going to tell this. And this is the second time I've even attempted to talk about this on stage. So I hope this goes good. Um, If it doesn't. Okay, so here we are. Um, November 2017, I had a mental breakdown. Um, I know what triggered it. I want to talk about what triggered it. But at that time, my uh, younger brother, he's 21, he had a mental breakdown years ago. And he happened to check himself into a hospital right when I had my mental breakdown. Um, The only reason I kind of survived is because I called the number, you know, the suicide hotline number. Um, I don't know the number by heart, but I know a rapper had a song about it. So I like went on Spotify and found the song and I was like, oh, that's the number. And I called it. Um, And also there's like a time limit. Like I was talking to this guy for like 30 minutes and he's like, so are you okay?" And then I started laughing. I was like, oh, you got a lunch break. It's fine. Um, So, you know, I checked myself in for 24 hours uh, and it was weird because while I was there, I was like, man, unlike everybody else here who's going through their problems, like I can kind of. I have a better handle on my own problems and I need to not be at this place again because I felt like I was using resources that shouldn't be allocated for me, if that makes any sense to anybody. So I was like, I'm going to go get help. So um, I went and, you know, got help, you know, medication, yada, yada, yada. So year goes by. Now we're in 2018, November. I'm doing this storytelling show. It's a great storytelling show. It's called The Liar Show. It's amazing. Um, it's It's really great. It's like, three, four storytellers tell a story 
three people are telling the truth. One person's lying. Check it out. It's great. So do that show and I'm coming home on the train and I'm just happy. You know, I just told a great lie. No one knew it was, a, you know, whatever. So it was a good show. And um, I'm on the train and I'm just like, I'm thinking about where I was in November 2017. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about how far I came in that year of just, you know, not having suicidal thoughts again, not not thinking about some of the deepest, darkest things that I've, I've ever thought and performing and how I love to perform and how I love life and how things in my career starting to look really good and how I was able to, to, to start creating a lot of things that I wanted to create by being just more honest and, and helpful and I'm just on the A train, I'm just standing up and I'm just so excited and um, I open my eyes and there's four people looking at me saying, yo, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. What's up? They were like, oh, I think you just had a seizure. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Like, I'm having like a great day. I don't know. I had the liar show before. I don't know if you were there. It's like four performers, three of them tell a story. One lies. I was the liar. It was great. Um, I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, also, I am a native New Yorker. If you've never been uh, on a New York City train, you really haven't been on one until you've been lying on the floor of a train. I mean, it's amazing. I don't know if you ever tried it. It's like the best seat in the house. But um, everyone is just like, man, are you okay? And, you know, I don't know if it was like a New York City pride thing. I don't know if it was like, you know, heterosexual, black machismo, chauvinistic, uh, original, classic flavor male. I don't know what the fuck. But you know what I mean. I don't know if it was that, but... I was like, man, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine, you know? And they're like, let me help you up. It's like I help myself up, you know what I mean? Black power, so. <laughs> I, I get up and I stand up again where I was and it's weird because they all said I had a seizure. I don't remember it. It's the only time in my life where I kind of don't remember what happened. Like I remembered everything that was going on around me, in my mind, everything. And then the next thing, I just see these faces. And now I start thinking about that. Like, that was really, really crazy. Like, I've never had that experience before, you know? And I know I'm never gonna have that experience again. And that's just so crazy to just, you know, are you okay? I had another seizure. And people were like, hey man, you need to sit down. And at that point, the train had stopped. And that's when I know it's real, you know. Um, as a native New Yorker, you know, you don't want to be the sick passenger. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, who cares about the seizure shit? Like, people got places to go. I mean, I mean, I've been on trains, and I'm like, oh, it's a sick passenger. He must be really... Is he going to die because I got things to do, you know? But so I'm that guy now on the bottom of the train. And another thing, if you ever do get the privilege of just, like, blacking out on a train, what's really fun is to just see the irony that you're the sick passenger, not tell these people, and just wildly start laughing because of how funny this moment is to you. And then look at the faces on everybody else's 
who are just looking like, why is this guy just laughing? He just fainted twice, and he just woke up laughing. Ha, 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 I'm fine, you know. Um, so this black woman comes up to me and is like, hey, you should, you should sit down. And um, I start talking to her because she had an uncle who would have seizures or I think uh, I think the medical term might be syncope or something is that it syncope whatever you guys are smart so one of those things and um she's just trying to talk me through it because she's like hey your mind just needs to be engaged until you get home where are you going I'm gonna make sure that you get to your train I'm like well I'm taking this I'm transferring to the L she's like okay we're going all the way I'm gonna take you home so I'm going and I'm doing this and while we're talking it's like I'm also thinking about like these different traumas that I've had in my life. Um, one of the reasons I I had like my mental breakdown was because of all these like random traumas. Uh, one I'll say is uh, my best friend was murdered April 4th, 2010 um, outside of his apartment with his fiance after coming home from their engagement party by three teenagers in Jersey City. They found the guys, the, the, the guy and the two girls who did it, they're in jail, whatever. But I think about life in this, this, this weird way, you know, like he was the last person to stop my suicidal urges. And this is a weird thing. I, I tell this to people all the time because I think this is something that the medical profession has not thought of as a way to stop suicide. Just get that person's best friend to tell them in all honesty that if that person kills themselves, they will not be their friend anymore. I don't know why that shit worked. I don't know. <laughs> It shouldn't work, but it did, you know what I mean? You know, like, if you think I'm gonna be crying, we'd be like, nah, you know, I was like, oh no, you know, I'm like, I gotta stay around. And um, so it worked. But it's a weird thing when that person is murdered and now you're kind of like stuck with the burden of life and not breaking that promise, you know? So it's like every day I still like go through that. I don't have like the suicidal urges and thoughts anymore. Thank you, Zoloft. You're great. Um, but but it, it's a weird thing. So anyway, I got home, you know, told my lady she was happy that I, you know, it was just like a syncope and I wasn't out there cheating. And um, <laughs> you know where her priorities lie. So uh, I went, to, I went to a brain doctor for the first time, um, and she was very excited to, to meet with me because, you know, I'm just talking super freely. I'm a performer, like I'm a full-time comedian, so I just say whatever's on my mind. And um, she's loving, and she's like, you know, you have to get the, we have to see what happened. So I, I did a, uh, what is it, a dream thing? You know, you sleep and they monitor your brain waves. I did that. Um, I did an EEG where um, it's just basically 20 minutes of like techno music and then you get, <laughs> then you get a picture at the end, you know. Um, so I did that. It turns out it wasn't a seizure because there weren't any like black spots on the brain. She said my, my brain was uh, very, 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 very wrinkly and so that made my brain sexy, which is the medical term of it. When you have a wrinkly brain, it's sexy. Um, and it was wrinkly on both sides, which is a weird thing. 
um, in my opinion, because like I'm I'm left-handed. Also, aside, any left-handed people in the house can clap, please. <laughs> left-handed people are the real oppressed people. <laughs> We've been living in this right-handed world for too long. We can't write. We have to write like this. It's a whatever. I've, it's our struggle. So um, I did that, and it's. I'm going to go see a cardiologist. I have an appointment in two weeks because that's like the last, that's the last step. And then I go back to the brain doctor. It's a whole thing. And um, the reason I didn't want to tell this story, but I, I would do it for this. I was like, this is the last time I'm going to do it. Second time, last time, whatever. Um, is because I don't know how this story ends yet. You know, it's like, this is, it's a story of me passing out on the train and I guess living to tell about it. But like, I don't know what's going to happen November 2019, you know? So that is the weird ending, I guess, to whatever this was. Um, <laughs> and everybody was being so profound. I, you know, I'm tearing up hearing about students. I'm hearing about fathers. I'm just like, I'm going to just talk about me falling on the train. Um, so um, any questions? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> That was Mike Brown. Mike is a New York comic who travels the country and still doesn't know how to drive. He currently hosts You Good with Mike Brown, a mental health podcast on Loudspeakers Network. He has appeared on NBC, MTV, TBS, Adult Swim, E! and Sirius XM, and has performed in multiple festivals, including the New York Comedy Festival and San Francisco Sketch Fest, where he was named one of Rooftop's comics to watch. He has written for Decoded with Francesca Ramsey on MTV and written, created, and starred in critically acclaimed web series Can't Stop, Won't Stop. Follow him on social media at Yo Mike Brown or find out more at YoMikeBrown.com. Our next story today is from Emily Arison. It was recorded in February 2019 at Beer Baron Tavern in Washington, D.C. The theme that night was Curses. It's 2 a.m. I've just spent the past eight hours in the ER. And two ambulance rides later, I'm sitting in the intake office at a psychiatric facility. I'm also super fucking high. <laughs> I had swallowed enough hydrocodone to tranquilize a horse, but not, apparently, enough to kill me. It turns out that they don't post the lethal dosage of that medication on the internet. So I survived. That's great. What now? That wasn't the plan. <clears throat> I am in this moment trying not to fall out of my chair and too out of it to process exactly how I feel. Underneath it all, I'm pissed. I am supposed to be dead. My lifeless body is supposed to be lying in my bed. I spent the days before this researching the most painless ways to go, planning how to steal the pills I needed from my mom's house, where I could leave my dog so that she would be cared for, 
I threw away everything in my apartment that I didn't want my family to find. <laughs> I'm supposed to be at peace. Instead, I'm ushered into the ward where I'm greeted by a patient who's sitting on the floor. She says, Welcome! We're so happy you made it through, to which I did not respond because it was very jarring at 3 a.m. I found out later that this patient had stopped taking her medication or sleeping in the days before she uh, got to the ward. So she was getting messages from the CIA through the TV. So she knew I was coming. (laughs) Now, I'm a middle-class white lady Uh, without any majorly traumatic events in my childhood. I'm just a very sad middle-class white lady. Unfortunately, this hospital doesn't have a ward for sad ladies, which naively was my expectation. So it's a complete mixed bag. Out of 50 people on the ward... Roughly half of them are in some kind of deep psychosis that leads sometimes to violent outbursts. Because of this, the ward has two quiet rooms, which are akin to padded cells. They tell you that these are rooms where you can go and relax if you're feeling anxious and you need a quiet place to calm down. In reality, that's where you go if you're out of control or threatening violence. Relaxation added by a shot of Ativan in the ass. Now, I'm not the type to square up against a 300-pound 6'4 psych tech, so I didn't spend any time relaxing in those rooms. The toilet in my room, however, was broken, so that is where I had to use the, the bathroom the entire length of my stay. It was not a therapeutic nor transformative experience. I knew the moment that I set foot in there that I needed to get out of this crazy jail as fast as possible. That lady from the beginning was getting a lot of messages from the CIA about me, and I was not ready to take on my responsibilities as a spy. I was still so livid that I was alive. I'm facing a life where none of my problems are solved. Every malignant feeling that my major depressive disorder has conjured up before I tried to kill myself is still there. But I looked those doctors in the eyes and I lied and said, I understood now that my life meant something. And gee, I just can't wait to go out there and live it. After four very bizarre days, including my 31st birthday, I was released. Getting out of the hospital didn't solve it. I wasn't literally under lock and key anymore, but my family decided that I wasn't allowed to be alone, ever. They had or my parents had said that I had given up the right to make, a, make my decisions for the time being because I was not being rational. I said they could shove it. <laughs> 
I came home, my knives were gone, and my mom or dad was glued to my couch. I yelled and I cried, and I said, get the hell out of my house. They did not. I knew deep down that they were scared and they thought maybe they were gonna have to bury their baby. But every time I looked at their faces, I felt seething anger. I had these uninvited guests that would not leave. And I had no idea what to do. Where do you even begin to put your life back together when you don't plan to live through it? I ached for an escape from my family because I felt smothered. But when I went, started to see my friends again after about a week, nobody was mentioning where I had been or what I had done. It was like walking around with two broken arms and nobody was acknowledging it. I hadn't told anyone that I was going to kill myself. I always felt like talking about my depression was a burden to those around me. And I think that everyone has had a bad experience with someone who is mentally ill, and I didn't want to be that person. Given that fear, I rarely let anything out. My friends were trying to love me the best they could by giving me what they thought was the right thing space. In their efforts not to crowd me, they were leaving me with too much room for my own thoughts. And in that space, I put, you are inconsequential. You have not made an impact on anyone or anything. And if you were gone, it would not matter. My self-hatred had been on a constant loop in my mind, and now it was screaming at me. So figuring that I had blown my unmitigated access to potentially lethal opiates... I thought I need to find a way to wake up every day until I can try again. About a month after I was released impulsively, I bought a ticket to the cheapest tropical destination I could find, Belize. I thought if I'm going to go through this alone, I might as well be at a beach. (laughs) There are two problems with this. One, my skin is basically made from the paper-thin tears of doves. (laughs) And two, I deeply fear the ocean out of respect. (laughs) 
my loved ones were not so thrilled with this choice, given that Central America is not exactly known for its safety. Emily, I don't know about this. Don't you feel scared going by yourself? Something might happen and no one will know. Nah, I said, I'll be fine. Don't you worry. It turns out when I stopped having anything to lose, I didn't have any fear anymore. So I decided I was going to do all the things. For example, snorkeling. Now, snorkeling for me has always been more of an exercise of trying not to lose my shit underwater (laughs) than admiring the beauty of nature. (laughs) I've been snorkeling before, but I can't usually make it five minutes without producing a muffled scream into my mouthpiece. (laughs) (laughs) My new lack of giving a shit led me to bursting into a wooden shack, money in hand, and booking a tour to snorkel with sharks and stingrays. The next day, I'm in the water, and these huge stingrays are gliding by me as if I'm not there, and I'm peaceful. And I reach out, and I touch one, which you are super not supposed to do. (laughs) That millisecond was it. And while I regret that it came at the expense of disrespecting the rules of human-wildlife interaction, (laughs) I felt blissful. I felt I am free to do whatever I want, to be selfish, to talk about my depression to those I love without feeling like a burden. To do more things that are not touching notoriously deadly wildlife, but are equally as exhilarating. And I could do none of this if I were dead. I haven't figured it all out. I have this curse, and it's not going away. But the one thing that I am 100% sure about The way to wake up every day is that I am still here. That was Emily Arison. Emily is a high school English teacher in Alexandria, Virginia. She works with newly arrived immigrants and now knows bad words in many languages. She is a Ma Story Slam winner and will be competing in the Washington, D.C. Grand Slam in November. Emily spends her free time volunteering at Camp Quest Chesapeake, as well as traveling internationally by herself, because she would apparently like to worry her mother. You can find her online at Emily Arison. Once again, before we close out, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in the U.S. is 1-800-273-8255. Crisis Services Canada is one 833 456 4566. 
And in the UK, you can reach Samaritans at 116123. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barger, as well as Executive Director Liz Neely, with help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Support Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Paula Croxton, Tracy Rowland, Miriam Zeringhollum, and Shane Hanlon. I also want to thank our board members, psychiatrist Tracy Guthrie and psychologist Ollie Matu for consulting with us on this episode. Their guidance has been invaluable as always. And if these issues of anxiety or depression hit home for you, I highly recommend Ollie's YouTube series, The Psych Show. As always, our podcast is edited by senior podcast editor Zoe Saunders with help from Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Caveat and Beer Baron Tavern for hosting these shows and to our storytellers for their powerful vulnerability. Thanks for listening. <laughs>